Take your Bibles with me tonight and turn to Hebrews. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. One of the things about Hebrews that I want to establish that we need to remember as we study the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is what's called, it's very, it has a lot of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, it's, it's very continual. It's, it's a thought that is established in the beginning and just the elegance of the Greek that the writer of Hebrews is writing. Um, you know, as soon as I'm finished tonight, it will be probably right in the middle of the thought that we'll need to uh, talk about the next week just to get us going again before we can go over new ground. But it's elegant in, in that design that there's a lot of continuance with what we read and there's connections here and there. It's, it's unlike any of the other New Testament books as far as the Greek goes. And um, a lot of Greek scholars have just said that this, this, this book, the Hebrews, is one of the finest Greek that they have seen. But something that we went over last week and that we really need to start again and kind of get going with our mindset in chapter 2 Verse 1, we, we read this. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Now, if you remember the, the three uh, points we saw in just those four verses was consider Christ, consider the character of Jesus Christ, and that we should put all our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, because first of all, consider his character, which we saw in chapter 1. Consider the person and the work of Jesus Christ, how he's so much greater than the angels. And then the second point we saw was consider God's judgment is absolute, the certainty of judgment. He says in verse 2, the words which are spoken by angels, if the, what that meant is the law, how the angels had ministered the law unto Moses, and then so the old covenant was established and there was punishment for those who, there was just punishment, uh, justly served. And now, how much greater is Jesus Christ's word? And that's what he says, how can we escape, in verse 3, if we neglect this great salvation, which was from the word of the Lord himself? And then, not only that, it was confirmed by the apostles, and then it was confirmed by God, the Father, with miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, verse 5, you would think, kind of shocks you a little bit, because you think that maybe he's changing the subject. Now, tonight, we're going to look at verses 5 through 10. I pray we, we get through all of that. But he says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Now, that's an interesting verse right there. I mean, having come from the thought of us not to neglect our salvation. Don't let the things which you have heard to drift. Uh, so don't be the careless person.
person. That's what neglect means is carelessness. And then look at all of the ways God has verified the word of the Lord. It's interesting. He goes right back to angels in verse 5. And then he talks about the world to come. So tonight, there's really two parts that is for the rest of this chapter. The first one is the coming world is subjected to the Son. And then the second part is Jesus exalted over the angels by virtue of his death. So here is the thought. Rule over the world hasn't been given to angels. And thus, human beings will only reach their destiny if they belong to Jesus as the Son of Man. Now here's the argument. Why turn to angelic revelation that does not promise rule over the world to come? Why cling to that? Why cling to angelic revelation? Remember the the word which was delivered by the angels? Anytime you read about the angels, it's always associated to the old covenant. Remember, he's writing to the Hebrews who are wanting to slip into back into Judaism. And so why would you want to turn to an angelic revelation, which has no promise of the rule of the world to come and not cling to Christ, which does have the promise of the rule of the world to come? So first, we're going to look at the destiny of man. Now, there's two there's two connections I want us to look at. There's a continuance. And there's a connection. There's a continuance of his argument from chapter 1 and all the way through. And then there's a connection to his argument. So verse 5, look at the four. You're going to see this word quite a bit. Four. Now come back to chapter 1. Look at verse 5. So here's the comparisons. Now, we have read so many comparisons. I don't know if you remember the very first day we started talking about Hebrews, but Jesus is better than the angel. That that is called a comparative. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's he's the better high priest. He's the better covenant. All things are better. Then why not use the superlative best? Why not just say Jesus is best? Why go into every category and say how Jesus is better? And I thought of this, what if I were to say that Folgers is the best coffee? It's the best. And you would be more likely to go, okay, well, he's got his opinion. You know, obviously that's that's his opinion. I I like my Maxwell House. But if I go in and I start talking about Folgers is better than Starbucks in this way, boom, boom, boom. Folgers is better than Maxwell House, boom, boom, boom. And I have all my arguments. It's more impactful that you go with the comparative, and he has, he many times. So look at chapter 1, verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But look at verse 8. So here is the completion of that comparing. But unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever. And ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. There's our first four. So, what that means is the old covenant that was delivered by Moses by the angels versus the new covenant that was delivered to us personally by the eternal Son of God, the creator, the sustainer, the ruler, and the sovereign God. 
Look at the next four in chapter 2, verse 2. So we've established that comparison. Here comes another one in chapter 2, verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we? And so here is the comparison between the angels and Jesus. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord? And so we see the old covenant was just in its punishment for those who broke it. How much more the new covenant will there, there will be greater punishment for neglecting our God. Now look at chapter or verse 5. That's where we have our third four, our third comparative. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Now look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. The old covenant was delivered in a world of sin where man lost his glory and the angels were never given dominion over the world. Men were. The new covenant will usher a new world because of the glory of God and his effectual suffering. Now look at verse 10, there's a four. Now we won't keep going too much, but uh, I just wanted to point out how he is comparing it with the language here. Verse 10, for it became him. Now for the rest of the chapter, it keeps talking about how much Jesus is better. And in verse 10, he's better in his preeminence. In verse 11, he is better because of his reconciliation. In verse 14, he's better because of his deliverance. In verse 16, he's better because of his humiliation. In verse 18, he's better because of his sympathy. Now, let's go ahead and read verse 5 through 9. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come wherever we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. By the way, that's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about man. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by him whom are all things, and bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So we saw the fours and all the way that the writer's comparing the angels to Jesus. But what about this world to come in verse 5 as, as we come back up? For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. That, world, that word world in the Greek is the inhabited earth. It's not talking about the cosmos. It's not talking about a new world or anything of that. It's the inhabited earth. And it points back to uh, verse 10 
of chapter 1 because he says that this world to come is what we're speaking about in verse 5. Do you see those last three words there at the end of verse 5? We're speaking about a world to come. What world is he talking about? Well, in chapter 1, verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall fail or shall not fail. So this world in verse 5 that he is talking about, that the angels will not have dominance of this new inhabited world. And that's what world means there. The angels do have a role to play at the end of time. In Matthew 13, 49, it says, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So next we see this comparison of the great salvation. Now here comes the connection logic. Now if you noticed in verse 3 of chapter 2, it said, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What salvation he's talking about? Look at chapter 1, verse 14. He says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? He's talking about salvation quite a, a couple times here, isn't he? And then he goes on to talk about this world to come. And he's associating, he's connecting our great salvation with this new world, this new inhabited world that Jesus is going to fold up the old and he's going to change it and there will be a new inhabited earth and that's what that world in the greek means it's a new inhabited earth and what about this great salvation he's saying do not neglect do not turn from this great salvation how much more should we embrace and trust and fully trust in the lord jesus christ and do away with the, the old covenant embrace the new because look at this world to come it's not going to be subject to angels it's not going to be subject to the things that are associated with angels. And so we see this great salvation he had just laid out in verse 13, or verse 3, that it's folly and dangerous to neglect it or to drift into indifference of the word which you heard. The word which you have heard tonight, they heard, was the words of Christ. It was apostle and God confirmed to be true. It's God's last word that we saw in chapter 1. So there is no third revelation. There's the first revelation, second revelation, that's it. There's only one, there's only two atoms, the first atom and the second atom. So we're, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but um, keep in mind here that when Hebrews 2.3 talks about this great salvation, he's not only referring to all that Jesus Christ did by his death, his resurrection, his imputed righteousness, his justification, for to purify our sins. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says he has purged our sins. And in chapter 2, verse 18, he says that he is able to secure, uh, or chapter 2, verse 17, he, that he made reconciliation for the sins of the people. He has certainly done that. 
But there is a physical, that is the spiritual salvation, which all of us, and I pray all of us, have had. So in a way, the, the, the spiritual salvation which we've had and this great salvation is also talking about our physical salvation. He's talking about this world to come, this inhabited world. So um, we know this because 14b, the benefits of salvation also include the inhabitants of the new world. Because look at chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to be heirs of salvation. Now, we know through the word of God, it's talking, we're spiritually, we're saved. We're saved, we're never going to lose salvation, but there's still the physical aspect of it and to where we will inherit salvation. So, talking about this world to come. So, in this great salvation, we are destined for something unspeakably great. We are destined to have all that is in creation, in Jesus' new creation, to be under our feet. Now, think about that. And I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. Because here in verse 6, he talks about two, actually, passages. Verse 6, he says, But in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? You know, when God created man, he created him to have fellowship with God, to be thankful, to bring glory to God, and to rule his creation, to rule the earth, to have dominance on the earth. Turn the, keep your hands here. Turn to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 27, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth. God had a purpose behind his design for man. Now look at Psalm. Now, in our Hebrew chapter, uh, it is actually directly quoting Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8. And there's a couple verses in Hebrews. Now, Psalm 8 here, it is clearly identifying man that should rule over the earth. That was God's original design before sin. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. 
Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to make a correction here in a minute. And it says, All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Did you notice in verse 6, he says that he has put all things under his feet. So the, the one who's writing Psalms, or David, he is talking, he's reflecting on creation. He's talking about before sin came. He's talking about the majesty of God and the dignity of man in whom God has created. He said all things were good. And he had a design for man. Man was made a little lower than the angels, but they were created with far more above privileges than any of the angels. So back here in Hebrews chapter 6, or chapter 2, verse 6, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, he says, now remember who, what he's talking about. He's talking about the angels are not going to be subject to the world to come. The world which he just spoke about in chapter 1. Verse 6, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man? That is not talking about Jesus. That is talking about the children of men, the generations of mankind, that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands, and then he clarifies in verse 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, still talking about man, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. What has not been, what right now, it didn't used to be before sin, but since sin, what is not under our subjection death death's our enemy I mean we don't have the rule and reign over those things sin and death and everything that, that is associated with death death is not subjected there's a obvious glaring problem that sin and death entered and frustrated the design which God gave to man to have rule over the earth but verse 9, the destiny of man is restored by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made. Now, notice this. He is re-comparing Psalm 8 with Jesus. He already did Psalm 8 with man. Now he's doing Psalm 8 with Jesus. Now think about Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam. The Adam that Adam couldn't be. Jesus was. In verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, just like man, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So there's a contrast, another contrast which we see with Jesus. The destiny for human beings is revealed in the person of the true human being, and the last Adam, Jesus Christ. He's talking about his incarnation. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels at his incarnation. But through his sufferings, through his atoning death, he was crowned 
with glory and honor. Not only did he keep all the law, he fulfilled all the law. So what did he do by doing that? He fulfilled the design which God made man. That's what Jesus did. So not only did he do that, not only did he have fellowship, he had thankfulness, and he had rulership, but he also has received glory and honor for the suffering which he uh, did as a substitute for man. Now, look at with me Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, or for his elect, I might say. Philippians chapter 2. Now, here at the end, it's just going to, I think what's going to happen is, by the end of this, we're going to leave here encouraged, so encouraged about Jesus' dominance. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name above, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we see Jesus, we see, if you come back to Hebrews chapter 2, thinking about that his suffering has exalted him, in verse 9, his humility exalts him. His, the fact that he had put on the form of a servant, the fact that he was God, and that he came and to become our sin bearer, not only to be the perfect human, but also to bear our sins. In verse 9, uh, we see that his humility is great to the, the fact of that he was made a little lower than the angels, his own creation. Think about that. And for the suffering of death, we see the extent to Jesus' humiliation exalts him. The purpose of his humiliation was to taste death for every man. We see that as the purpose. That exalts him. The motive was by his grace, in verse 9. He did so by the grace of God, by his love. That exalts him. And the results of his suffering, and that he should taste this death, which we have not put under us in subjection, this exalts him. Because look at verse 10, or it says, verse 10, for it became him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. There's that word salvation again. Now notice that word captain. That word captain in the Greek means a pioneer. It's translated prince. He's the prince of life uh, in Acts chapter 3. 
He is the pioneer. They have trail, they have blazed the trail. They have made a way. He is he has made a way for us to be saved who was put under the dominion and the rule of sin and death by coming and being who he became uh, and in him suffering he has been the captain of our salvation spiritually and one day physically it's it's already but not yet one day we will enjoy and we will rule and uh, that is what this is talking about the angels will not have dominion of the the changed world, the new world. Jesus will have the rule, but we, as the restored Adam, that's what we're going to be. Jesus has reconciled us, and he has restored us spiritually to the fellowship of God that Adam lost. Jesus has, if you're saved today, you've been reconciled to God, you have that relationship back. And every day you're conforming to the image of Christ. You are pleasing God. Before you could not please God. Uh, the carnal mind is enmity against God. Uh, because it, it cannot be subject to the law of God. But since he has saved you. And you're a new creature in Christ on the inside. You have been restored with that relationship. One day you're going to receive a glorified body. And we will, be, we will have been restored the dominion of the earth, which God intended for Adam. And that's something that Jesus has restored that relationship to. He has restored that role. He's restored all the roles that Adam in sin has been lost. Oh, how beautiful is that? Verse 9, but we see Jesus. Man has squandered it. I've squandered it. We've squandered it. But we see Jesus who has taken on this. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the first human to fulfill God's design. He suffered our consequences to restore it to us. Restore what to us? God's design. <laughs> How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? And he is the captain. That means he is the one in front. He's the one who has done it. And we follow him. And this is the great salvation which the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's not just talking about spiritual. Think about the world to come. How can you neglect this great salvation? How can you just let it pass you by? How can you just be careless or drift from the word? And that's what he is calling upon us to consider. Think about this great salvation which Jesus has secured for us. Now, think about how he has tasted death. Now, Jesus has tasted death for his own, for his elect, for his sheep. Death was not for himself alone, but for every human being who belongs to him. Uh, when he talks about death here in verse 9, he's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about all of the, the things in life, the frustrations, the decay, the grief, the sorrow, the despair, the pain, everything that sin has wrecked our lives with, he has tasted that. And so he is able, as verse 18, he is able, himself has suffered those things. He is able to secure them that are tempted. 
Jesus' death frees us from the futility of fear and death. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of this, but I want you to see this. Uh, I want to keep reading. We're not going to go over all these verses. But how has Jesus conquered death here in verse 9? It says, For it became him in verse 10, or verse 11, we've already read verse 10. Verse 11, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. What is that? That's a union we have. If Jesus has saved you, you're united in Christ. We're all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. That's in Psalm 22, 22. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. You notice that. For as much then. Now here's going to be some fours. It is solidifying Jesus' victory. Verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He's talking about us. He also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. It's all about his humility still. In verse 18, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus' death frees us from the futility and the, death, and the fear of death. He has brought sons to glory. He has called them. We were united with Christ. Because he was victorious, we are victorious. And that we, the same which sanctifies and the sanctified, are all of one. Because he has one, we have one. The children that are given to him. Now, the role originally given to men in creation in Psalm 8, in Genesis 1.26, has been realized in Jesus Christ. That's the argument. Do you remember in Psalm 8, that's... The, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews' argument. What man has lost. In the reign of Jesus, we see the destiny of the human race, the destiny of all those who belong to him. That's your destiny today. Doesn't <laughs> that make you happy? Doesn't that make you excited? That, that we are going to rule and reign on the earth with Jesus because he has secured us. And the things which he's going to do where there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sin, Death will not conquer. The design of man and the image of man will one day physically be restored. Physically. It's already been restored spiritually. But Jesus will restore us physically. All right, so what shall we do then? So the whole argument, what shall we do? You put your faith in the promises of this great future, this grace which we're going to have, that you see in Christ today what will one day be your portion. So we fix our eyes upon Jesus. It's, 
it's we look to him. Instead of looking at the reign of death, the reign of sin, the despair, the, the things which sin does, instead of looking at, you know, death, you may think it's winning sometimes, but it's not. We don't look at that. We look at Jesus who has won. We don't look at the things that, you know, you, the, the sickness that's in our world and blindness going in children, leukemia, awful things that happen, death, grieving, pain, misery. It'd be so easy to fixate our eyes upon that and think that that is just, that is all there is. But we see Jesus, don't we? We see Jesus, and we know what he's done, and that he has tasted death for you, that he may give us the victory, and he has won. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Death's where thy sting, grave's where thy victory. Christ has conquered death and all the sin and pain that leads to it. Think on him. One thing that... uh, the writer of Hebrews is ultimately saying here is Psalm 8 is our destiny as God's people. Psalm 8, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. But look at verse 8 at the end. He said, you know what? All those things were true, but what happened? Sin happened. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But Jesus has put it under him. Death's not under us, but it's under Jesus. And one of these days we're going to die or he'll come back and take us the way we are because he's won the victory. And that's what he is encouraging you to look. Look upon him. Look at this great salvation. Not only is it eternal, not only is it effectual, not only is it in Jesus Christ and his blood, but look at the paradise which we will be in forever and ever, because of Jesus, because of his accomplishment. He's restored us. He's already restored us to God, but one day he's going to physically restore us to how God had originally designed us to be. What a blessing. What a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, thank you for the victory you give us. Father, may we leave this place and the things that happen in life. Father, we know that all things work together for our good, Father, for the glory of your grace. And Lord, we pray that you would just help us to remember this fact that we saw tonight, that our Lord and Savior has conquered all things, conquered death, and that we do not have to be afraid of death. We do not have to have fear in our life of the things that we see sin cause havoc and despair. Father, that's We know, Lord, we all grieve in our heart, and you are touched by our grief. But, Father, may you just give us the grace and understanding to know, Lord, that this world to come, Father, which you will make all things new, that one day, Father, we know that that this is our hope. We know that one day that day will happen. Father, just as sure as you have saved us and brought us to yourself spiritually, One day we will be all together, we'll be with you in glory, physically. What a day. And we thank you, Father, for that promise and that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.